Um, just before I, I do minister the word, I don't know if uh, everyone was here last week, um, but we've just felt um, on our hearts uh, in this next season, we'll see uh, as it goes on, um, that we want to read the word publicly, um, believe the anointing is on the word, power of the word, don't need man's opinion, you just need the word uh, declared and spoken in faith. And uh, so we're just uh, we're going to read the word again today. As we shared last time, when we preach and we stand up here, we do our best to preach uh, the few verses or in context, but it is difficult, so sometimes it's just nice to read the word publicly of the whole context. So we're going to read just over a chapter, and then I'm going to dive into a couple of verses. And we have the anointed Damien to come and minister the word. I just want to encourage you, um, I'm going to read about a chapter and a half, but I, I really want to encourage your hearts to engage with the Word, um, to not let it be just a reading or text, but that you would encounter the living God in the Word. Um, so you could even close your eyes and, and receive the Word in your spirits. I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians 10, from verse 10 all the way through um, chapter 11. For they say... His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our limits. But we will, uh, we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For, this, uh, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and I was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. 
As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you. God knows that I do. And what what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise that if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. But you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, at the sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, and in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast... I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Amen. That was a chunky passage of Scripture, but it's one of the for me, one of the powerful sort of declarations in the Bible of the, the gospel and just what Paul was facing during that particular time. And uh, what was happening is that the simplicity of the gospel was being, um, tri- they, was, they were trying to, to make it complicated. They were false prophets and, 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 and guys were coming in and trying to, change what Paul was speaking and add regulations and and requirements and things of the flesh to the gospel. And uh, you can hear Paul's cry there. Um, you know, if I'm, I'm, I say it's one of the naughty chapters. I was telling Damien, um, my dad was quite sarcastic as a, as, a, as a person, just one of his characteristics. And um, so I grew up a little bit sarcastic and I got saved. And, you know, everybody jumps on you about sar- sarcasm because it's, you know, that's the lowest form of wit, and, uh, and it's not, you know, not of the Lord's sarcasm and all of that. Um, but when I read chapter 11, 
I'm kind of, uh, it kind of makes me uh, uh, just think a little bit and go, okay, what, what was Paul trying to do here? Um, because he's kind of got, you know, he says a bunch of stuff. He says, I was too weak to do that. Now, you know, he's not too weak to do that. So I, I, I don't know what that's called in English, but I think that's called making a point, right? However we want to say it. But it is such a, it's a, such a beautiful uh, a capture of Paul's heart. He's trying to tell us there that, um, you know, this is, this is simple, and, and my life portrays this. And I'm not trying to compare myself. I'm not trying to sh- make, sh- I'm a big shot, and I'm not uh, trying to boast beyond who I am and what I have shown and declared to you. And I, I, I want to try and capture a little bit of that this morning in, in, in what I share. But I want to say in these days that we're living in right now, it's a, they are vital. They, they have been set up by God uh, for the church to shine. But they're absolutely vital because the, the, the Bible speaks, whenever it speaks of the end times, whenever it speaks of the last days, it does speak of deception. It does speak of false prophets, uh, people that will come in and try and take away, add to the gospel. Remembering Jesus plus something equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So anything you want to, whenever you want to add to Jesus, it takes away and uh, why? Because he's the truth. Um, I believe that this is a year where we are, it's vital. We actually do need each other, and we need Jesus. We always, need Je- always needed Jesus, but we need Jesus, and we need one another. So the attack, if you want to know what, uh, what Jesus is doing, whatever, just look what the enemy is doing. He does the exact opposite. What comes is the attack comes on people's lives where um, they are, either breaks up relationships or they get isolated or think they can do things by themselves. Um, and begin to withdraw, or and that's what you're seeing in the world—that sort of community thing. Now, each is rather each man for himself, right? Um, when actually, in these times, it's a real time that we need one another. We need to stand together, uh, be together, and also we need desperately do need Jesus. So, I'm going to just share a bit of uh, a few verses in that chunky scripture. Thank you, Damien. That just well read, bud. Um, because the word is just so rich. So uh, hopefully you're at, at 2 Corinthians 11. Excuse me. I wanted to start off by making just a simple statement, and um, that's just to say this. There is a true and there is a false church. That's not so that we can judge. That's not so that we can point a finger. That's so that we don't get deceived in these last days. There is a true and there is a false church. It's, why is this important? Because what Paul's about to declare to us here simply is uh, to give us an understanding of how a false church arose in the first place. Um, so he's trying to share something of, the, of his understanding uh, to the Corinthian church. Yeah, and it's a, it's, there's some beautiful language here. Let me just, reading from um, chapter 11, verse 1. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Uh, do bear with me. It's almost like he's, he's saying, this is me. I'm, this is the cry of my heart. This is the, this is the humanity of, of my heart here. For I, def- I, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband. To present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Here's Paul 
making an incredible and an amazing statement. Now, the reason why I say incredible and amazing statement, why you've got to understand the beauty of the gospel as well, is that when he spoke about the Corinthian church and he described these, this group of people, that's the Corinthian church, he described them as prostitutes, drunkards. These are fornicators, adulterers, uh, extortioners. Anything you can think of that's not lacquer. This, this was this group of people. But isn't it amazing and how powerful that Paul, in his understanding, could, could declare and say that through the blood of Jesus and the power of the Word of God, that he can present that group of people as a pure virgin before the Lord. I'm telling you as a church, we have never ever in our entire lives gone so left with this constant fixation with sin. Instead of seeing the church the way Jesus sees the church, Paul planted this church as the father of this church. The way he saw and understood this church is not this group of people that have got a whole bunch of things wrong. He saw them as a group of people that were pure virgins before Christ. Whatever had been on in the past was now for forgiven and had gone, and now he was gathering together these beautiful people. But he uses an amazing word here. He says, betrothed. For you've been betrothed to Christ. Betrothal is not something we use in, in, the, in our culture in this day and age. A lot of people would compare betrothal to engagement. Um, it's, it's not even close. With an engagement, um, nowadays, whatever, you can break an engagement. Guys break their engagements, and it doesn't have major ramifications. With the betrothal, it's way more sacred, way more committed, way more powerful. It was very, very serious in those days. In fact, when you had a betrothal, which happened before, the, before marriage, at the betrothal, the father of the bride would commit to present his bride to the bridegroom on that wedding day as a virgin. That's what Paul is carrying here in his heart. The father would make that declaration. The betrothal was so sacred and so powerful, it didn't mean you could, there could be a consummation of the marriage. That could only happen at marriage. But the betrothal was so sacred, the commitment was so powerful, that if there was any uh, 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 naughtiness that happened, um, then that was seen as adultery before they got married. So there was this betrothal, and then there was marriage. It's almost like, I want to just say, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, Right? When we get born again, we are betrothed to Jesus. But there's going to me, going to me, going to be, there's going to be lovely water you got here. There's going to be a marriage. The betrothal wasn't this long, unending period of time. There was a betrothal, which was a period of time. It wasn't actually that long a period of time. And then there was the marriage when everything was um, uh, fulfilled and you were totally legally in every way married, and then there could be a consummation of the marriage. So here's Paul uh, talking about this betrothal, and he's sharing it uh, to this uh, Corinthian church. Yeah, I wonder if I should read that. I love uh, in Revelations 19, I'll just read it. Those of you who um, 
you are new in the life of the church, I would encourage you to go and listen to, we did a series uh, called on the book of Revelation, called on the book of Revelation. Um, it was a novel uh, name that we came up with. No, we did the book of Revelation, and, uh, and so I'd encourage, encourage you there to, to listen to that. But in, in Revelations 19, it's so, so beautiful, verses 7 and 8, it says, Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, for His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. It's a beautiful picture of the marriage of the Lamb. The marriage is still coming. We're excited about the marriage. Um, do want to challenge every single one of us um, that heaven is very excited about this marriage. Um, the bridegroom is very excited about this marriage. How excited is the bride about this marriage? Because my Bible tells me, Hebrews 9, I think it's verse 28, it says that there is an eagerness and anticipation from the bride. So the true bride of Christ should be eager and anticipating this marriage. Um, but in this marriage, we've been given the privilege uh, to make ourselves ready, right? Absolute privilege that we've been, uh, uh, been given the, the honor of making ourselves ready. And part of making ourselves ready is um, the righteous deeds of the saints, right? The righteous acts of the saints. We know that um, we've been given this robe of righteousness, but that's not just righteousness that's been imputed. This is a righteousness that's been outworked, the acts of the saints. Amen. Some of us might have very skimpy clothes, so we need to just work on the righteous acts of the saints. I see that went over everyone's head, but it's fine. Or a different sense of humor. No, it's fine. <laughs> My, my heart as I read this is, is one of encouragement, one of, um, of a challenge to every single one of us uh, of where uh, we're positioned as a church right now as we go into 2023 and as we go into what God has for us. Is that we've been betrothed to one husband to, pre to be presented as a pure virgin to Christ. And this is where the true church and the false church separate is the true church stays faithful to Jesus Christ. The false church becomes unfaithful to Jesus Christ. The emphasis is actually Jesus. Let's, let's read on. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by, the cunning, by, by his cunning, your thoughts, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and a pure devotion to Christ. The gospel is very simple. The simplicity of a pure and sincere devotion to Christ but the way that the enemy tries to come in, the way that the enemy tries to deceive, the way the enemy tries to rob us of our sincere, original betrothal and faithfulness to Jesus Christ is through our mind, our thinking, and our thoughts. How does he do that? How does he uh, attack and, and, cha and change our thinking? Um, maybe just because... If, you, if you've got your finger in that place or the, on your phone, if you just shoot to 1 Corinthians 15. Seems it's still the Corinthian church. Let me just read you uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. I'm reminding you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. This is simply the gospel that's been preached to them. You hold fast and you stand to this word. Um, even Paul, the way Paul writes, I love it, unless you believed in vain. 
um, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared, obviously, to Cephas, then to the Twelve, and He appeared to more than 500, etc., etc. For I delivered to you as of first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for, for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with with the scriptures. What's the simplicity of the gospel? Christ died for your sins, Christ was buried, and Christ rose again. That is the simple gospel in a nutshell, not to be complicated, not to be added to, not to make anything confusing. That makes um, Christianity and, 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 and the religion, if you want to say, of Christ versus every single other religion different. Because the Christian religion is actually birthed in and is part of the history of man. Do you know that? You either believe it's either a fact or it's not a fact. There's no in between. You either It's either true or it's not true. But it's actually embedded in the history of man. Every other religion is not. Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Islam... Muhammad could have gone to any cave, anywhere, any place, and any time and had that revelation, and it wouldn't have changed the revelation. But Christianity is embedded in our history of who we are in our lives, where Christ died for your sins. He rose, he, he, we were buried with him, and he rose again. That's the simplicity of the gospel. Either you believe it or you don't. You're either in or you're out. But as a church, we're not to complicate matters. We either are for or against. We either are in Christ or we're not in Christ. Amen. Now I am smiling. This is not a, this is not a, not a I'm, I'm smiling on the outside as well. But um, So the cunningness of the enemy, what does he do? Verse 4. So we read just verse 4. For if someone comes, um, uh, chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it, Readily. Now that's Paul's language there. It's giving them a small nudge um, that they're putting up with it readily. But isn't it interesting here that the first port of call where the enemy will try and shift or change is if you receive a different Jesus. The subtlety of the enemy is to try and present the gospel with a different Jesus. Because everything centers around Jesus Christ. Everything centers around the truth. Let me just throw this out, and if you study the book of Revelation, you'll find out. Isn't it amazing how much we make of the book of Revelation and this huge battle and this huge stuff that goes on? Everyone's petrified of all the stuff that's going on in Revelation. And then you come to the end, 
in Revelation, and Jesus is riding on his white horse, and the whole bunch of triumphant saints on their horses and what have you, and there's huge thousands of enemies all gathered against him, and he opens his mouth, and a sword comes out, and it's game over. How many of you pay a lot of money to watch that movie? Most of us are looking for some major battle. Ha-sha-lana. Woo! And he's going to be riding there. And sha, like in the heroes of the movies, chopping off people's heads. And he kills like his thousands and what have you. But he just opens his mouth. Why? I'll tell you the simplicity of that. Why? Because it's simply truth and a lie. When he opens his mouth, the sword of truth and everything else that's not truth is gone. Instantaneously, forever gone. Only truth will prevail, church. You have to understand you have to be for truth because truth, friends, at the end of the day, you won't realize how sharp that sword is. It's one powerful sword. It doesn't take a moment, but when truth is released, everything that's a lie will disappear. And so for us, it is so important that we understand the true and the real Jesus, the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And it's the truth, friends, that sets you free, not something else. Not another thing, you know, um, sorry, my brain works strangely. Connor's back next week, no. <laughs> Is that as you get older, for those of you that got a little bit older, you know, you go and you buy these, uh, these, uh, these things that, these, what do you call them, cotton buds, well, it's just earbuds, you buy them from the chemist or what have you, because, you know, you want to clean out your ears. My wife tells me I need to clean out my ears, so, no, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm going to sense of humor. <laughs> she's always telling me, didn't you hear that, love? No, <laughs> no she doesn't. She's very precious. Um, so, so you go there, and I always call them earbuds. So you go there, and you buy earbuds, and you put them in your ear, whatever, try and clean them out, and then you hurt your ear, and then you go to stupid oaks and what have you, and stupid country, and uh, everything is, uh, you know, they're trying to make it cheaper and save money, and they're putting less and less cotton wool on them, and that's why you hurt yourself. Then you bother to actually go and read the packet. And then you find out that they're not called earbuds. They're actually called cotton buds. And they're used actually for beauty and cosmetic things and what have you. And it actually says on the packet, if you're going to use this in your ear, only use them in the outer ear. Do not put them down the canal. So here I am, merrily, using these beautiful earbuds for the purpose of cleaning out my ears, only to find out that the reason why I'm not being set free is because it's not the truth. It's the truth that sets you free. So I don't know what Jesus you're following, but if you're not following the truth, you might find you're not being set free you need to go back and have a good look and see, is this really the truth, right? So it starts off with a fly in his mouth. No, <laughs> starts off with, it's, if you presented another Jesus. And one of the things that we're concentrating on now, we've just been trying to encourage the church, is the church has gone round and round this whole concept and idea of sin for a long time. And it needs to be dealt with severely now. And, and, and uh, we need to know the truth so that we can be set free to do what God's called us to do in these last days. God is, is, this is the most powerful time to be alive. God is going to do such amazing and such mighty things. But actually, we need to get over as a church that God's just about you having a good day. It's not, a, it's not, it's not in the gospel. It's not Jesus. 
The 12 disciples were not picked and they did not walk with Jesus because every single day they had a good day. The way we think, have a good day. But they were with Jesus. And that meant everything. Hey, it doesn't matter about what's going on and all this stuff. If you, if you actually watch The Chosen, I'll just give it a small punt, even though I believe you should read the word. And not, not just watch a movie. But um, if you read The Chosen, you'll see it actually quite, brings quite a reality to the disciples and the everyday life, right? Anyway. Moving on, so so you've got uh, so you present. If you present another Jesus, what happens then is then there's a different spirit. See, if you present the true Jesus, then the Holy Spirit can come and He can move in powerfully and begin to do what He's called to do. But if it's a different gospel, then what comes in is a wrong spirit. And if a wrong spirit comes in, suddenly the church is totally focused on the demonic, totally focused on getting demon demons out of people. Keep the door open so I can run when I'm finished. Um, <laughs> but it's so subtle how wrong spirit can come into the life of the church. It's so subtle how Holy Spirit's not given room. Suddenly you'll find within your meetings that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is not given the, the freedom and the liberty to actually move because it actually it's a wrong Jesus that's been presented. And ultimately from that, you, there's a wrong gospel. And Paul said if you present a wrong gospel, uh, if a wrong gospel, so let him be accursed. Anathema is the word. It's a horrific word. When something has been consecrated to, to something and now you use it for the common use. Let, let him be accursed if he presents a wrong gospel. Let me tell you, who wants to actually come and preach the word of God? Scary. Very, very scary because if you present a wrong gospel, I, 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 honestly, I do this with fear. And trembling every single time I stand up. I, 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 I've had to many, many a time in all the years, 17 years and 18 years and a few weeks. Um, I've had to stand up in front of the people and say, I repent. I dare not present another gospel because that means somewhere I, I had the influence of a wrong spirit and somewhere along the line I presented a wrong Jesus. And he is so precious to our lives that we want to present the right one, Right? So he's the center. You change the character and the person of Jesus, you are already in error. Um, I use some examples here because it's just to help us a little bit. I just said um, there's, a, there's a kind of, I call it a liberation theology that's going on at the moment, um, which is um, it's the job of Christians to resolve the problems of the poor, demand social justice, eliminate the wealthy. Uh, and uh, and set up a Christian government. Biggest load of trash you've ever had in your entire life. It is not the Christian's job to resolve the plight of the poor. Jesus had compassion on the poor. Uh, it's not my, it's not a Christian's job to now uh, create social justice by force. It's not what Jesus did. He was under a regime as one of the worst. The Romans were very very oppressive. Did you see Jesus going around placards? Let me tell you this, the church, the, 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 the world is in, in a very sad place, right? We know that. But it's the world. It's always been in a sad place, right? The world is crazy and wild. What's dangerous is when the church is not the church. Forget about the world, when the church is not the church. When the church suddenly starts to not be what it's called to be. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, you can go read it there, Paul speaking to Timothy. He says in the last days, it's going to be perilous times. It's going to be dangerous, horrible times that are going to come uh, because the world is so bad. No, it does not say that. Not because the world's so bad, but because the church is not doing what it's called to do. People in the church will be lovers of self. They will be lovers of money. There'll be um, children will be disobedient to parents. You might go, oh yeah, but that's just normal kids. You know, they're disobedient to parents. Not in the church. In the church, we want to grow up our kids to be obedient to parents, so that we can shine, so that we can be the light that God's called us to be. Amen. I can see everyone got very excited with that one. I'm just going to move on fast from there. Uh, yeah, so it's not our, our job is to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Our job is to shine Jesus in every single situation. When we shine Jesus, I, I even want to be dangerous and say this, because I like being dangerous. I want to say this, that we were not called to get people saved. We were called to go and to preach the gospel and to make disciples and teach them. Unless God draws, unless God calls, you cannot be saved anyway. So it's not my job to get people saved. It's my job to preach the gospel. It's the Word of God, the richness of the Word that washes. It's the Word of God that can change our life. And the Spirit can be, the incorruptible seed of God can change the corruptible inside. 1 Peter 1, 23, you can go and read it. Friends, what I'm called to do is to declare and to speak the Word of God. Wherever I am, in whatever situation, whatever circumstance, I'm just I'm called to be the light in that environment. And then God draws, and the light impacts, and people's lives are transformed and changed. Amen? And so all I've got to do is be obedient to wherever the Holy Spirit's leading and wherever He's calling me. Not a heavy, but he does tell me to go. So sitting on my bum is not an option, right? I was going to say something else, but I won't. So. See, one of Satan's main strategies has always been to get people discontented with their current status. It's like Israel in the desert. They got discontented with the conditions the heat, the thirst, the exercise program. It's worth walking every single day in the desert. <laughs> Most of them had nice watches. I didn't reach my steps today. Don't you find that hilarious? Sorry, sidetrack. Bring me back. Um, it's, don't you find it hilarious that people are so consumed with their steps? And even though, oops, I haven't done my steps today. So it's. <laughs> Do we even have a clue why you are meant to be doing certain steps? So you're doing a whole bunch of stuff so that you've got a bunch of steps when that's supposed to be for your health. So, uh, sorry, just help me out here. Who are you, Connie? I did my 3,000 steps today. <laughs> Have we been presented another Jesus? Because in order for Jesus to do something with my life, I need to have done my 2,000 steps. 
See, today we get discontented with authority, my job, my life, my kids, my status, my wealth, my marriage. The underlying lies, if you get rid of that person, <laughs> not your wife, I'm just saying, if you get rid of that person or situation, get more money or status or a better job, then things will change. Everything will be great. But it's never, ever the case. The Jesus of the gospel was not ever discontent or distracted. Never unhappy, never discouraged. That Jesus invites me into this journey. He says, follow me. That's powerful. That Jesus didn't say, hey, you know what? You guys may need to worship me. That Jesus didn't say, you know what? You need to pray to me. That Jesus said, follow me. That Jesus came to this earth. And for 30 years, he was with family, with brothers and sisters for 30 years, walking through all the journey of what we have to walk through because he was tempted in every way but without sin. So whatever you want to think, he walked for 30 years as a family man. With Then he was called for three years to walk with a group of men who he called them individually. For three years, he was with them. And when he called every single one of them, and he, he went to those individuals and he said, follow me. He didn't say, here is the actual pamphlet, and here's the program. On Thursday, we've got a crusade in Capernaum, if you can be there. Right? He said, follow me. Which what they did was they laid down their jobs, and they went and followed him for three years. Three years. They followed everything. Every single day of his life, they were with him, following him. Friends, when Jesus says, follow me, he's not asking for your Sunday. He's not asking for the event, the crusade. He's not asking for the moment. He's asking for your life. He's asking that you would follow him. So when he says, follow me, then we pull out the scriptures that says, great, these things will you do, and even greater things will you do. Woohoo! Signs and wonders, baby! If it was just signs and wonders, he had invited them to the crusade. Friends, he invited them to do life with him every single day. When Jesus says, follow me, he's talking about every single day life. He's talking about getting up in the morning. He's talking about spending time with the Lord. He's talking about cooking breakfast. He's talking about having to meet people. He's talking about having lunch. He's talking about in the afternoon. He's talking about the workplace and the environment and the people. He's talking about in the evenings. He's talking about a life. He's saying, follow me. Now, he wouldn't say that unless we could do it. So he's saying, follow me. So now the life that I, I now live, I have to look at Jesus Christ and say, he was never discouraged. He was never discontent. And he's asking me to follow him. In the difficult situations, he's saying, you don't need to be discontent. So why am I discontent? Because I've put my trust and my faith in something other than Him. I've allowed something to speak louder than His voice. You see, He came to give me life and to give it to me abundantly, and if my circumstances can take away from my life, then they are Lord. See, Jesus knew who He was, whose He was, and He knew what He was called to, and nothing else was going to change that in his life, no matter what, right? There's so much we could. Oh. 
tell your friend, prophesy to them and say, um, sure, there's quite a nip in the air. It's very cool and cold here this morning. Because I probably need to go another five or ten minutes. Uh, no. You know, I always like to, um, one of the, my just things in my life that God has done is I always like to go back to the garden, right? And uh, I love, I love uh, everything started. And um, when I was studying this, um, God just took me back to um, the beginning as well with in Genesis chapter 4. And you can go read it from verses 3 to 8. It's about Cain and Abel. They were the two sons of Adam and Eve. How many know that Adam and Eve didn't have any other sons before the fall? They only had sons after the fall. These were uh, rebellious sons. There was just rebellion after that, right? If you look in the Bible, there's so many twos. Friends, it's, it's either true or false. It's the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's Abel and there's Cain. And uh, you'll see, if you go read there, you'll see about Abel and Cain. And um, what I find amazing is that um, they come and they bring an offering to the Lord. Why did they bring an offering to the Lord? Um, God either spoke to them or they, Adam had spoken to them an understanding of, of what they needed, needed to do. But what you see here is two, two men, and you see Cain. The Bible says that in the process of time, Cain, Cain brought his offering. And then you see Abel, it says, and he brought the firstlings and he brought the fat. And the Bible talks about fat, it talks about the best. So he brought the first and the best, Abel, and Cain in the process of time. He came and he brought his veggies. Now, a lot of the people, they go and preach a whole big story, and it's wonderful, and, and amen, um, that God doesn't mind um, uh, vegetable farmers compared to beef farmers and all of that, whatever. Let me say they're missing the point of the story. The simple point of the story is that death had to happen, blood had to be shed, it had to be a sacrifice. So again, a beautiful analogy, you can go in it in a whole lot. We don't come and we give God whatever we feel like it. Sounds good to me. See, that's what he did in the, in the process of time. Hey, it's a good thing to do. I probably should go do it because, hey, no, it's all, it's all really cool. And Lord, I'm sure you're going to enjoy this. I uh, had a good crop this year or what have you. That's not how you approach God. When you approach God, you bring your first and you bring your best. And then blood has to be shed. See, there's a sacrifice here. If you understand these two, if you, and, and for the sake of time, I won't go down that road. But here you've got Abel. Abel's heart leads to what? Martyr. Cain's heart leads to what? Murder. See, there's a heart here that God presents. And it says here that he accepted his offering. Um, and we don't know what that actually means. But most um, um, historians and, and, and theologians will tell you that's probably fire. So fire came down from heaven, accepted his offering. No fire for Cain. Cain gets a little bit upset. It also tells us in Hebrews 11, verse 4, where it says, uh, Abel offered his offering by faith. I mean, you know, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So he must have got a revelation from God, and he offered his, his um, offering by faith. And it was everything. It was a laid down life. See, why am I saying that? I'm saying because there's true and there's false. There is, there is the true church and there's the false church. What's the difference? One is the Cain and one is an Abel. One is faithful to Jesus, one is unfaithful to Jesus. See, we like to have a lot in between. 
Gray is our favorite color. But the reality is either you're faithful or you're not faithful. Either it's true or you're not, it's not true. And if you walk this journey, it's a journey of a laid down life. Amen. This actually sounded so lighter when I was uh, sharing it in front of the mirror. I must go back and share it in front of the mirror now. That's so much now. Seems a bit of a heavy now. It's not a heavy. I promise it's a, it's a lighter. Uh, absolutely right. Uh, see, when we, the false gospel is when we accept Jesus Christ into our life. The false gospel is that Jesus will now protect us, take care of us, make sure everything goes right in our lives, right? And then one day we go to heaven. See, as if he's now at our beck and call to make everything sorted out. Now, if that's the gospel that we have, then our eyes are on the circumstance and on the situation. And we're only doing as well as the circumstance and the situation. And then if our eyes are on the circumstance and the situation, the circumstance and the situation can move us. The emotions and the feelings can, can, can sway us. Amen? So now when we go and we face a situation, whatever, and the storm's coming, start to scream and shout at the storm, start to scream and shout about the storm, um, and the storm's getting closer and closer, and we're going, Lord, have you checked the time? It's the 11th hour. Just, you know, just telling you, just letting you know. And we, oh, and then it's like, do you know, it's like midnight. It's like 12 o'clock. And then it's like, uh, what watch do you have? Are you on? Because apparently it's after. And see all of that screaming and shouting we call prayer. The reality is, friends, the reality is, is that Jesus is not here to take away every single storm. Some storms, he's just lying in the boat having a good kip. Sometimes he needs to be woken up because the other guys are taking a bit of strain and then he sorts it out. Sometimes he walks past the boat on the water in the midst of the storm. It's not about the storm. See, when storms come, friends, chapter 6, Matthew, chapter 6, when storms come, the storms come to the wise and the foolish. They, don't, they didn't come to the wise because he left open a door. See, because when it gets and the storm's coming or whatever, and we're getting to that last hour, we're going, Lord, have I left the door open for the enemy? the focus is completely in the wrong place. It's the wrong gospel. See, the gospel is Jesus. So it's not about whether you've left the door open or haven't left the door open. Just keep your eyes on Him because the storm comes to both. The storm's going to come. And what you, if you read that story very carefully, you'll find out when that storm comes, it's not actually about you. It's about the house. It's, will the house stand? Will that which Christ has established and built, that which Christ has declared, will that stand in your life in the midst of the storm? See, if you, because it says those are people that are doers of the word, actively taking what Christ has said, applied it to my life, put faith to, 
uh, to, to it and now walking it out. And the storm will come. It's not worried about me. It's worried about what it's been built. It's about looking like him in the midst of it all. Being the church, being the light, being the salt. Friends, salt in a salt pot on the shelf has got zero point. Salt in the midst of it is true salt. That's the whole point. You take away why there's salt, it just stays on the shelf. You might as well have taken that and put it. See, it's to look like he would look if he was in my shoes. Oops, scripturally he says he is in my shoes. Whoops. See, the true gospel changed the why behind my life, the reason for living. Why do we think Jesus did what he did? Is it because he was God? Because he was disciplined? Because he had willpower? The Bible says Jesus was love. So when he says, follow me, the first thing he says is deny yourself. Revelations 12, overcome them by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Stop there. No, don't stop there. Carry on reading. And loving not their lives unto death. See, it's to have a perspective uh, so much in here. We can read also in Matthew 7. To, if your eye is single, to have a perspective that's single down. I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own. Why are there so many voices? <laughs> I'm only one. I belong to one. That voice, I've singled it down to just Jesus. You see, because when we become Jesus and we become love, then whatever anyone does, love make, takes no record of wrongs. See, you can't, you can't discourage, you can't, you can't, you can't cause love to be discontent. Um, because you can't hurt love because, because you've done something wrong to me when everything has been done right to me. I mean, Jesus, so you can't. See, what happens with Jesus is that if somebody hurts you, you don't now act like a hurt person. Because now I understand who Jesus is, so now I can say that person doesn't understand who they are. Jesus, when he died on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What is he saying? For they don't know who they are. So Jesus comes back to restore purpose and who we are, sons and daughters of God. So when somebody comes and does something against me, the reality of my heart should be um, they, they actually don't know who they are. So even though they hurt me, I'm not going to act like a hurt person. I'm going to wrap faith around them. I'm going to trust the Lord to restore them to the right identity and to get an understanding of who they really are. That means now I can respond to them in love. I can love them. I can pray for them because they haven't hurt me. I'm not living like a hurt person. Making sense? So much I could 
could say, Lord, we land with a we land with a two stories. True story. <laughs> we land with a story. Let me say this. Um, my favorite story in the Bible, absolutely by far my favorite story in the Bible, Daniel chapter three. Daniel chapter three is the story about his shack, my shack, and to bed we go. Right? <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar builds this huge statue, and everyone's got to go bow to him. The guys come and tittle-tale like the world does always. Um, come and tittle-tale and say, these oaks aren't bowing to you. Nebuchadnezzar calls them in, says, hey, listen, buddies, uh, you, got, you need to bow to me, right? There's the statue, bow. They go, uh, we have no need to even have a chat to you because uh, it's of no consequence. We ain't bowing to nothing, right? Um, we serve the only true God. And he goes, right, you guys are in for it now. I'm going to heat this thing up seven times. So he heats it up seven times. The fire is that hot. And then he tells, I'm sure it was volunteers because nobody was putting their hand up to, to go do that job. But anyway, he says, all right, the guards must come and they must take these guys and they must throw them into the fire. And if you ever look and you study your Bible and you study it properly in the Hebrew too, they were bound from head to foot. They were bound in their clothes. They were actually bound with their hat. Their cloak, their hat, everything. So they were bound even on their heads. So these even, uh, s some uh, scholars would tell you that they might have even been bound so they couldn't even see. These guys were bound, and now they're led. <laughs> Off they're going, right? So they approach the fire, and when they approach the fire, the guys open the door, and the guys that brought them are cooked, right? Because the reality is with the fire, anybody who's not in covenant, you're in big trouble. So, so they get cooked. So here's the three guys by the fire, all bound. I have a simple question. This is how my brain works, sorry. I have a simple question. How did they get in the fire? The guys that brought them to the fire cooked. And anybody else who was out of covenant, so if he sent more guards, they all get cooked. So they're standing there. Chaddy, Mishi, Abed. What's going on here? <laughs> Guess what? When Nebuchadnezzar looks, he sees four people. Guess what? Jesus comes up behind. <laughs> and he goes, my boys, you want to have some fun? He said, Chad. <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Bible says they fell into the fire. I say, Grant's version, if you want to get my Bible, <laughs> it says with a little bit of help from Jesus, right? No. So the next minute, there's four of them in the fire. And when there's four of them in the fire, what the Bible says is the, the, the bounds, the, the bonds are loosed. Woo! This is fun. Um, so here's the reality. Ask yourself this simple question. What was the fire there to do? It was challenging their commitment to the only true God. It was wanting them to compromise, and it was wanting to see if they love their lives more. So ask yourself this simple question. Jesus came on the scene. Did he remove the fire? So there's uh, many, many Christians praying for the fire to be removed. 
when in actual fact the fire is there to loose them of their bonds. And they come through the fire without even smelling of smoke, even having even any fire on them. Now, God can remove fires. Uh, trust me. Um, what I'm saying is that we shouldn't be praying for removal of fires. We should be praying for the fireproof one. That's Jesus. If I'm in the fire with Jesus, I don't mind. They were like, I don't know what's going on here. Yeah, okay, as long as Jesus, yeah, is that you, Jesus? Yes, okay. Ping. Oh, this is co- cool. Cool, has it? What's happening? He popped into the earth for a short moment. See, that's the, re- the story. The story is actually about that we're not here trying to remove fires and storms, but we're here to be Jesus, to be the light in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the fire. If God wants to remove the fire, He removes the fire. If God says to you, speak to the storm, you speak to the storm, and the storm still. If God doesn't tell you, you just carry on going through the storm, because it doesn't matter if the waves are getting bigger or if they're splashing into the boat, as long as I'm with Jesus. As long as the Jesus that I know, as long as he's the truth, the truth will always set me free. So I'm linked to and yoked to the truth. That's why I can be at peace and at rest. Those who are weary and heavy laden is because they're not yoked to truth. They're yoked to something else and it's burdening them down and they're not being set free. So they need to yoke to the truth. And as they walk in the truth, and then, then the, the, the bonds come off and they're totally free. Amen. Oh, last, last story. I'm finished. Last story. One of the most powerful stories in, in the Bible, um, which is so neglected, and, and it's again in the beginning. In the beginning. In the beginning, in Genesis 24. It's a very powerful story. In Genesis 24, there are four characters. It's the story of, Ab- of Abraham who needs to go find a wife for his, his son, Isaac. There's Abraham, there's Isaac, there's um, Rebecca, the, the wife, and there's the servant. What's fascinating about that story is, is Abraham is obviously a picture of the father. Isaac is obviously a picture of the son. And then Rebecca is a picture of the church. Who's the servant? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's the servant. Guess what? When uh, a wife was needed for, for Abraham's son, Abraham and Isaac did not go looking for the wife. The servant went looking for the wife. Right, and the servant goes, uh, travels, and 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 said, "Well, what if they don't come with me? Um, should maybe I should take Isaac?" And he said, "No. Uh, he 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 must marry that which is of us." See, God's serious about this. So so the servant goes there, and he's coming along, and he's going to sit by the well, and he says to himself, "To the Lord, okay, I'm going to sit by the well. The one that comes along." And, um, and, and um, uh, responds to me to give me a drink of water. Um, but also not just a drink of water, but actually will offer to, to, to give all my camels some, some water, right? Um, now, I don't know if you, you get that picture. But when, when um, the servant was sent out, he was sent out with 10 camels. Now, some, have been, some of us here have been in Egypt, and uh, we know a camel, we know how much a camel can take. So 10 camels... That's a lot of laden stuff. So he went out with lots of stuff, right? Lots of riches and gold and jewels and all kinds of stuff that's taking these 10 camels. Um, but there's another thing about camels. Camels like to drink water. So a camel can drink about 150 liters of water for in 15 or 20 minutes. 
So along comes this lady, whatever, he's sitting there. Can you give something to drink? She goes, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, something to drink. And should I, I'll, I'll also water your camel. I mean, you can do the mass. I, I did the mass. But, le- but whether you do the mass or not, I don't know. But just understand that 15, 20 minutes per camel, and it's 150 liters per camel. I don't know how big you think she can carry the jar, but that's a heck of a long time to, to water those camels. That's the bride. Servant went looking for somebody who would not just give a drink. What happens is he responds and he gives uh, Rebecca some jewels. He gives her a, a, a nose ring and, um, and bracelets and what have you. He gives her some jewels. It's really cool, yeah, nose ring. You've got to be in there. But here's the reality. Here's the reality. Is can, you imagine, can you imagine a guy? who's now going to marry a lady, whatever, and he says, you know, an engagement, you know, I'm paid for this night, he says, here, the ring, will you marry me? And she goes, hey, uh, George, I really like you, but this ring. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be a marriage, right? Rebecca responds so wonderfully. He goes home, um, and, and he speaks to the family, whatever, and says he needs to take her, and then he says, he has to say to Rebecca, were you willing to come? And Rebecca says, yes, and she is lavished with stuff, and so is the household lavished as well. What's the point of the story? The point of, the st- of that whole story, that whole illustration, is to understand that Rebecca, the Holy Spirit called Rebecca. She responded the, um, and received that which the Holy Spirit had given her. And then she now had to travel a very long way, and all she had was Holy Spirit to teach her and to show her and to help her to understand the bridegroom and his ways and who he is and, uh, and all about this new life that she was about to undertake. That's the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit. And then you see what happens is, um, you'll see as we shared there, when the bride makes herself ready, she is adorned with the jewels, the jewels of the Holy Spirit. That's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The bride is supposed to be being taught and trained by the Holy Spirit, adorned by the gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit, ready for Jesus for that day when the bridegroom is going to come. Because I'm making myself ready because I'm, I'm on that journey. I've been betrothed. So I've shared all of this to simply say this. The true church, this is a time for the true church to arise. The true church is one who is dedicated and committed and laid down their lives to, for, for, for Christ, the true Christ, the truth, the one that's described and explained in the Bible. That true uh, bride is not being swayed to and fro is not, uh, uh, when it's done something against, is not suddenly the victim mentality, and yeah, no, I'm not doing so well, put me on the prayer chain, please pray for me, this is terrible, that's terrible. She's not living like a defeatist, she's not living like a victim, she's living as the victor because of what Christ has done in her life. She's living with excitement in her heart. She's living for the day. The reason for living has changed. She's now living for that day when she's going to meet the love of her life, when she's going to meet the bridegroom. Things don't sway her now. When somebody comes and hurts or affects her, she actually just understands. You see, our, our challenge inside of our lives is we always want to do something to help the situation. So we want to fix it. I put my hand up. I'm not preaching to you today from a, a, a victory. I'm preaching to you today from a place where I'm on a journey, right? We always want to, something happens, we do something wrong, and then we want to fix it. And God's saying, stop it. <laughs> I don't want you to fix it. I want you to what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change the way you think.
Because if you try and fix it, you make it worse because your way you think is wrong. Woo. So you've got, you, you, you just got to repent, make the adjustments, and say, no, okay, Lord. If whether, and this is whether somebody's done perpetrated something against you, whether there's hurt or harm or a breakdown, or whether you have perpetrated against somebody else. It works both ways. Christ has taken care of it. When he said, follow me, it's not like, well, easy for you to say, Lord, because you without sin. Oh, I'm in dangerous ground here. That's why I'm ending. The, real, the reality is Jesus Christ took care of everything on the cross. So that's why he can say, follow me. Because you're meant to operate like you without sin. You can do it. We can do this thing. So now I'm meant to live and follow him just like he does. So something's done against me. I can now say, I, I, I see that person the way Christ sees them. I'm not looking at them according to the flesh. I'm looking at them according to Christ. So now I go, they sadly don't know. They haven't got a revelation yet of who they really are. So number one, I'm going to forgive them because I've been forgiven. But number two, I'm going to wrap them in my faith and love and say, Lord, restore back to them. Open their eyes so they can see who they really are. But now that I don't act like a person hurt and I'm going to stay away and I'm going to, I'm going to shun them and I'm going to do this. No, I'm going to go and love them and I'm going to encourage them and I'm going to help them to see who they really are. Now nothing is, is swaying me. I am stable. Friends, we're not meant to be up and down. Highs and lows in this life. Christ in us. The hope of glory. See, the glory, presence of the Lord. Christ in us. The ability for people to see and to know Him. It's Christ in me. So in the midst of whatever I'm walking, the challenges and circumstances, I want to see Christ in me. I don't want to say, well, I've just lost my job, so now I'm going to act like a person who's lost their job. No, I'm going to act like a person that Christ is in them. I'm not, I'm the same. Well, you're not upset. You're not swaying. No, I'm not. I'm stable as a, as a stable. <laughs> Amen. You see, this is, this is where God's calling us. This is a year where no matter what's coming our way, it doesn't change who we are, and it change, doesn't change what we see. Amen. I'm living for that day. I'm anticipating. I'm excited for my bridegroom who's coming back for me, and you can't speak louder. You see, Jesus took care of all the voices because the voices want to speak loud. They want to shout. The devil goes around like a roaring lion. What? A roaring lion. He's a noise. That's all. He wants to make a noise. And Jesus takes care of the noise. All the noise is quiet. Whoop! quiet. Only thing that speaks is Jesus. Amen? And I stay in what he speaks. Shall we stand? I could go on for, for the generator until it runs out of the diesel, yeah. So this is meant to be an encouragement as we go into the year. That I want to encourage us. This is not about us having huge prayer meetings and shundying. Um, to remove all the horrible things in your life so that everything goes smoothly. This is about it's always going to go smoothly because Jesus has paid a price and conquered, and now we are His. And we are, there's a different reason for us living. We live for Him. We live for what He's called us to. We live for His plan that never changes. People cannot speak into that. Don't let what other, where other people are at determine where you are at. Other people are not in the right place. They tell you to F off or whatever, and that. Then the reality is, friends, don't be treated like a person who's been told to go somewhere. I'll use a letter, not a... 
for the religious. Um, <laughs> the reality is, friends, we want to walk a journey now as a church where we are, we are the light of the world. We, we dare not let darkness come out of our mouths when we are the light. Come on. This is a year now where we can be triumphant. It doesn't matter what anyone says, does, or whatever. I don't change. I love you. That's what Paul could say. Slap in the face. Do whatever. It doesn't matter. I love you. Your actions are not going to speak louder than truth. And I know truth. And truth is now inside of me. And I want truth to be displayed to you so that you can see Christ in me, the hope of the glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. You seeing it and knowing it. No matter what's happening to me. Amen. So we're going to pray and trust that we're going to be stable people this year. We're going to be triumphant people this year because God wants to lead us in triumph. That's why the Bible says, seek first the kingdom, the rule and reign of God. Not seek first the circumstances, uh, good circumstances. Seek first the kingdom. The rest will be added. There's a promise here, friends. The rest will be added. He knows what you have need of. Okay, short prayer. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, that's just a private joke. My family always tell me when I start praying, you might as well sit down because it's going to be. No, let me just pray. Lord, I just thank you for these amazing people that have sat in this heat um, because we love you. And uh, Lord, I, everything that I've said, whatever is of me, let it fall to the ground. Whatever is of you, let it just take root in our hearts and lives. You love us so much. You are such a good God. You have taken care of everything so that we can live a life that's always blessed, that's so good. There isn't ups and downs, just bless Christ in us. So, Father, just will you help us that we, as we eat this, as we, as we learn from this, as we chew this, Lord, it would take root in our hearts and we would be able to live this and display this. It's going to be a great year. 2023 was destined that 24-7 church would be blessed and grow from strength to strength, and it's going to be the best year that we've ever had. So thank you, Father, that it's going to happen through a group of people that just love you, dedicated, lay down their lives for your, your plan and your purpose. Pray, bless every single person here. Thank you for their love and their heart. Thank you for them being here. And uh, we're excited, Lord God, as a community. We love one another. We know that this year we're going to need one another. So we thank you for each other in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen, amen. amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.